Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me? Wow, that's loud. Good morning. So, yes, uh, we are in the second week of our series on how to be a perfect Christian. And uh, obviously we're joking about, thank you, Todd, um, about what it means to be a perfect Christian because we know that there's no such thing as a perfect Christian. Um, So, first of all, I just wanted to kind of see a show of hands. How many of you guys are familiar with the Babylon Bee? That you've heard it before? Okay, we've got like three people. Okay, so let me explain. The Babylon Bee, uh, we kind of went over this last week, but it's a satirical website that does articles um, from a Christian perspective. So there's a lot of stuff about Chick-fil-A, about how great Chick-fil-A is, because, you know, don't we love Chick-fil-A? And then there, yeah. (laughs) Um, So there's uh, articles about kind of making fun of Christians from a Christian perspective. It's all lighthearted. It's really fun. And so I thought I'd share some of my favorite articles that have been on Babylon B before. So there was this one, they do make fun of politics a lot, and there's this one that says, local Christian counts on the kingdom of God as a backup plan in case his favorite political party fails him. I thought that one was kind of funny. They had uh, one right after Endgame came out that said, taking cues from Avengers Endgame, pastor will preach for three hours. And thankfully, I'm not going to do that today. I don't have that much material prepared. Uh, This one was funny. It had a picture of a kid looking at his phone while driving. It says, teen driver glances at road, narrowly misses something cool on Instagram. And then how many of you guys like LaCroix? Anybody like to drink LaCroix? Well, I don't. I think it's disgusting. And so this one was really funny. It says, LaCroix introduces new orange juice toothpaste flavor. And that's what they all taste like to me. It tastes like battery acid to me. But, you know, what are you going to do? So the quote that we're going to focus on today that comes from the Babylon Bee book Uh, about the church says this, and I think that we might have it on the screen. It says, it's impossible to get the maximum level of holiness if you're currently attending a church that is focused on the wrong things, namely anything other than you. And so, of course, this is uh, satire, and so I wanted to kind of talk today about what it means to be the church. And the Bible has a lot of things to say about what the church is, and so we're going to read from the book of Acts, and we're going to read the second chapter verses, excuse me, 42 through 47. And so if you're not familiar with the book of Acts, it's the first book that was written right after the Gospels. And if you've heard of the Gospel of Luke, the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke writes the book of Acts. And so basically it's just kind of a history telling about the formation of the church. So we talked about on Pentecost how the disciples were in the upper room and they were just waiting for God to pour out his spirit. He pours out his spirit and then they begin to prophesy And then um, people come and become Christians, and they start to build the church. And so we're going to read from Acts verses 42 uh, through 47. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and held everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so the disciples in this passage are right at the beginning of forming what is the early church. And right off the bat, you can see the things that they were passionate about. So they were passionate about serving others. They were passionate about the apostles' teachings, which is the teachings of Jesus, fellowship with one another, worship, sacrifice, and evangelism. 
And notice how all of those principles, especially sacrifice, are all selfless. They were all rooted in the idea that if this is going to be a church that moves, it's not going to have a me movement. It was rather focused primarily on loving God and loving others rather than serving themselves. And that's why I love that uh, two of our core values, loving first and doing life together, kind of address a lot of the things that the disciples felt were really important to them. And it also addresses a lot of the problems that a lot of other churches face sometimes. And as a church, we choose, whenever we say love first, we choose to love first because God has created all of us. Not just the people that we like, he's created the people that sometimes we have a hard time with too. He's created them in his image. And because he first loved us, that's our first response is to love. And we do life together because we don't believe that life is something that is best done alone. There's a song with a lyric that I really like that says, no man is an island. And I'm sure that's been in a bunch of songs, but I really like that idea that we can't do this all on our own. But however, we kind of live in a world that tries to make us selfish. We live in a world where in fact, we all start out selfish. Have you, any of you guys have kids or have been around small children? That's probably everyone in this room. You know that children do not start off selfless. And some people, as they continue to grow, never reach that point where they become selfless. It's something that has to be taught. And there's this saying that says, it's a dog-eat-dog world, and I'm wearing bacon pants. Sometimes that's the feeling of what it's like. Sometimes the world around us makes it feel like it's us versus them. It's me against the world. In fact, it sometimes seems that the world around us is built to make us feel like we're on our own. That's why I think that advertising is a $600 billion a year industry because it's built to make us feel like we're always behind, that we always don't have enough. And that's not to say that all advertising is bad. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying that in our world, we seem to have this myth of scarcity. There's this myth that there's not enough to go around. And so if I don't get mine first, then I'm going to be left behind. And this mentality was even prominent during the disciples' time, but they chose to live a different way. That they chose to not buy into the myth of scarcity that said, if I don't have my fill, then I'm going to be left behind. And it kind of reminds me of, you know, whenever you get on an airplane and the things pop down as a demonstration, they say, always put yours on first and then the person beside you. Well, in an airplane that works and that's a good idea, but that's not how life works. It's not how life is supposed to work, that we serve ourselves first and then whatever we have on the excess, we give. And I'm convinced that this right here is the root of all sin. The idea that we are not complete with Christ alone in our lives. I'm I'm convinced, I had this thought at camp and I've been kind of thinking on it, that the root of all sin is the myth that we are not complete with Christ. The idea that we're not complete if we're not first, which leads to pride. The idea that we're not complete if we don't have enough, which is greed. The idea that we're not complete without getting even or getting our way. The idea that we're not complete with Christ alone in our lives. This selfishness that both is born into us, and if it's not worked out, can lead to devastation later in life. This this idea was still back 2,000 years ago when the disciples were building the church, and they had to deal with this. And yet, they understood 
that the church was not supposed to go along with the way of the world, that they were supposed to live an alternative life. The Babylon Bee book, uh, How to Be the Perfect Christian, says this about church. Some of the most common warning signs that your church isn't conducive to your personal growth into a perfect Christian includes a pastor who preaches sermons that make you feel uncomfortable, a worship experience that centers your attention on God more than on your own feelings, and a church staff who refuses to incorporate the advice from the thousands of helpful comment cards you've left over the years. And for me, I can feel that at times, if I'm getting dissatisfied with church, and don't think that just because I'm up here and I'm an intern and I've been in church all my life that I don't get dissatisfied with church. In fact, I would say that it probably happens sometimes more often to those of us who do it day in and day out and week in and week out. But I find that one of the things that happens every time that I feel that I'm getting dissatisfied with church, that I'm getting fed up, that I'm getting pushed to the point is because I've got my focus misguided. And instead of my first response being, what is my part in the church? My first response is to think, well, what, is, what am I getting? What am I getting out of it? And that's not to say that you shouldn't come to church to be filled. That's one of the main reasons we come here. But I find that whenever I get frustrated with church, it's often because I have my priorities misguided. I often fall into the trap in the uh, the guilty feeling of saying, you know, I don't really connect with this song. I don't really like this worship style. It's not really mine, so I'm going to kind of remove myself from it. I'm going to think of my lunch plans later on. I'm just going to kind of be distant. But the truth is that I'm not here to worship myself. And so whenever I get in these mindsets that, you know, I don't really connect with this song, you know, I don't, I don't really like this style of music, then I have two options. I can either be grumpy about it, and that can lead to this dissatisfaction, or I can say, you know what, I'm going to take this as an opportunity to let God make something right in my life, in my spiritual life that needs improving. And when I seek to first serve myself, I very easily find that church isn't for me. And I've known people a lot that say things like, you know, I love Jesus, but I just can't get into church. I love Jesus, but I, the church is, it's not for me. Everyone inside is a hypocrite. And my answer to that is, yeah, we are. And that's kind of the point, is that we come here week after week to allow God an opportunity to work in our lives to make us less and less like a hypocrite. Because the thing that makes the church imperfect is the whole reason that it exists. It's for people. The church will always be imperfect because it's run by people. It's run for God's mission, which is directed towards people. And so it's tempting at times to say, well, I don't like this church. There's something wrong with it. I need to go find the right one. And again, the Babylon Bee has another article that reads, family travels 700 miles every morning to get to church that fits all their criteria. And the title alone nails down how there is no truly perfect church. And that if we have this idea that we're going to go church shopping until we find one that fits, we're just going to be left dissatisfied. Because the church is full of imperfect people. It's a hospital for sinners and not a museum for saints. But 
If we focus on Christ rather than what our own needs are, we realize that church isn't about being served. Church is about serving. I saw this post the other day. I can't remember what it was, but it was this question of if you, had, if you knew that today was your last day on earth, what would you do? And so a lot of people said, you know, I've always wanted to go visit this place. So I'd buy a plane ticket and I'd go. I've always wanted to tell this person how I'd feel, so I'd go tell them. I've always wanted to own this car. I've always wanted to do this or do that. And then there was a, uh, a comment. And I, I realized that the, the post itself was written by a Christian person to try to prove a point because the comment said this. Jesus did know that he had one day left. Jesus knew when it was his last day on earth. And what did he choose to do with it? So I'm going to turn real quick to John 13, verses 1 through 5. It says this. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour to depart from this world had come and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, that's his disciples, He loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples, and to wipe them with a towel that was tied around him. Jesus knew that he had one day left, and he chose to serve. He chose to wash feet. And I'm sorry if it feels like I'm kind of beating a dead horse here. I I know that we all kind of have this idea, church is never going to be perfect on this side of eternity, but the problem, if there is one in a church, our first response should be to fill. Our first response should be to say, where can I step in? Because just as the disciples did in Acts, as they were building this early church, you know, they could have made it to whatever they wanted it to be, really. They were the first people doing this church. They had no tradition behind them that said, this is what you have to do. And they could have turned it into really whatever they wanted to, but they didn't. They followed the example of Jesus, who till his dying day, served people, including ones that would walk away and betray him. The disciples followed the example of our Lord. And in the passage we read earlier, they sold things that they had to give to others to make sure that everybody was fed, that everybody was clothed, that everybody was housed. Because they were following Jesus' message and not their own dreams because they knew that the dreams that they would have could not match up to what the kingdom of God was supposed to be about. And this mission, the one that we're also called into, is not one that can be accomplished on our own, so we shouldn't try. The mission that the disciples were called into, the, excuse me, the mission that we were, are called into, is one that can only be lived out through the power of the Holy Spirit living inside us to allow us to be Christ to people in the world. And if we have the mentality that we're kind of starting from scratch, then it can really seem daunting, but we're not because we have a blueprint. The blueprint was what we read earlier. 
As a church, we should hold fast to the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the gospel. And it's not the gospel of Todd. It's not the gospel of one of the churches of the 30,000 denominations. It's not the gospel of good works. It's not the gospel of great theology. But it's only the gospel of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ that will allow us to be the church that we are supposed to be. We should value fellowship with one another. And the Bible describes it as simple as breaking bread with one another. Eating with someone is, I think, the best way to meet a new friend or to deepen a friendship with someone you already know or to say thank you to an intern or a preacher, whoever. Those are just ideas. Um, But Acts also says that worship was a priority of the early church, as it is for us. But the worship was not focused on themselves. It was focused on God. Sacrifice also mentioned in what the early church valued, which is easy for a group of people with resources, but for the people who were starting the early church who had nothing, sacrifice was everything, and sacrifice meant everything. Evangelism was the last thing that was mentioned as being a priority for the church in Acts. And evangelism kind of sounds like a confusing word, and it has kind of been taken over by a lot of things that don't really live up to his meaning, but all evangelism means is sharing the good news of Jesus. It's as simple as that. And the role of the church should be centered around evangelism, pointing others towards Jesus. What does that mean? Because I have this problem whenever I preach sometimes where I just put out generic statements, like we're supposed to point others towards Jesus. And it's funny because it's really easy to write those things, but from a person who's hearing its point of view, it's easy to say, well, what does that mean? Because I'm not being really specific. So I decided that this time I'm going to give some specific examples of ways that we can show love to other people. And one of the simplest things that I have found that I think that makes a profound impact on someone, even if it's not directly showing them Jesus, it's showing them kindness, is whenever you're going through a drive-thru, going through coffee, paying for the person behind you. It's simple. It usually won't cost you more than what your own meal is. Although I did see this one Facebook post that the person behind them had accidentally, or they had ordered $40 worth of food and they didn't know it, but that was some sincere generosity there. Something as simple as inviting somebody over for a meal, offering to pray for someone who's going through a tough time, especially if you know that that person doesn't believe the same way that you do. Because I've known a lot of people in my life who haven't believed the same way that I have, but I rarely meet anybody who whenever I offer to pray for them, they'll refuse. Because it's something that even if someone doesn't quite believe the same way, a lot of times the mentality is, well, it can't hurt. So offer to pray for people. And for us, as the people of the church, our very mission is to be centered around building the kingdom of God here on earth by spreading the gospel of our Lord to bring heaven on earth. And that's really what the church is trying to do. It's trying to build heaven here on earth. And I think that oftentimes our view of heaven is that we have to escape this evil world. And and sometimes that, that mentality can make us think like, what we do here doesn't matter. But what I find in the scriptures is that it seemed to suggest that heaven really comes to earth. And that's why in the Lord's Prayer it says, your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the reason that church might not always seem to fit us, maybe we're trying to make it fit for something it wasn't designed to.
And one of the last things I want to do, I want to kind of paint a word picture. So this story's been told a bunch of times. I've heard it a bunch of times, and I'll probably miss some of the details. But basically, it goes like this, that there's these two identical rooms. And if you can kind of imagine a dungeon, that's what these rooms are like. In the first room, you've got about 10 people in there. And there's a really big pot, and there's a fire underneath, and there's some soup in there, and everybody is hungry. But the only problem is that each spoon is about the size of this mic stand. It's too big for you to scoop it and to get your own drink. And there's these two identical rooms. It's the same problem in each of them. And one week later, we check in on the people in the first room, and they've starved. Because what they've spent a week doing is trying to take the soup and find a way, uh, you know, the spoon, trying to find a way to feed themselves, but the spoon is too long, or they try to tilt it upwards and catch some of the soup in their mouth, and they, they end up starving. But the other room, everybody lives. And it's because they have figured out that it's impossible to feed yourself with your own spoon, but it is possible if you take the spoon, put it in the pot, and take some of the soup to the person to your right, then it can start a circle and everyone can be fed. And the analogy basically says that the first room is hell and the second room is heaven. Because in the room that is heaven, everybody gets fed, but it's not by serving themselves first. In the room that's hell, everybody tries to feed themselves and they all starve. And as the church, is our job. As Christians, it's our job to attempt to model our life after Jesus who led a costly alternative life. He led a life that was counter to the way of the world. And as we talked about earlier, this, this kind of selfish world, living a life of selflessness, is living heaven on earth. And so if you don't get anything else from what I'm saying today, what I'm trying to say is this, that the local church should be a place of sacrifice, selfless love, and commitment to the teachings of Jesus. That's our only goal. That's the only reason why we're here, is to live out the teachings of Jesus. And as Hayden and Craig want to come back up, I want to pray for us. Gracious Father, we pray for your holy church. We pray that you would fill it with all truth. And in all truth, that you would fill it with all peace. Where it is corrupt, we would ask that you would purify it. Where it is an error, we would ask that you direct it. Where anything is wrong, we would ask that you would reform it. Where it is right, we pray that you would strengthen it. Where it is in need, we pray that you would provide for it. Where it is divided, we pray that you would reunite it. Ever-living God, whose will it is that all should come to know you through your Son, Jesus Christ, inspire our witness to him, that all may know the power of his forgiveness and the hope of his resurrection. We pray these things In the name of our most blessed Lord, your Son, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you want to use this time as the the band sings to pray about what it means for you to be a part of the church. In fact, I think that we're going to have a 
station over here, just an area where you can come and pray. If you want to be prayed for, if you've got something going on in your life, if you've got a sickness, if you know somebody who is sick, or if you're going through a tough time, this is a great place to come and pray and be prayed for. things to take away from the message this morning. But what stands out is that if there are no perfect churches out there, we get to lean in to create the church and be the people that God is dreaming of for this place. So if you could, if you would just stand with me. going to sing a little bit more, but as a declaration of prayer, we're inviting God to come into this place, and I would invite you to pray the prayer for your own heart and life, but pray the prayer for our church. You may not also know that um, we start the services right after 10 o'clock. I don't know if you noticed that. It's not just because we like being quasi-late. We actually try to attempt to start them perfectly at 10.02. 
is there's a couple of passages of scriptures that mean a lot to us. And, and one of them is Matthew 9, 38, which is mirrored at Luke 10, 02, which talks about us as the church asking to the Lord to provide people because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And when you join into a church, you lean into a body that becomes the working part of bringing heaven to earth. I could think of no greater thing to devote your time and energy to than to be the love and presence of Christ in our world. And so where maybe your time has not been that, maybe your focus has not been that, let's reorient ourselves together, right? And sometimes it's not like a purposeful or malicious, like I went out and did this. Sometimes it's just, I wasn't aware. But we get to be aware. So let the cry of this prayer be an invitation for the Holy Spirit to be present here in our midst and here in our hearts. Would you declare this? And if you do want to lift up a prayer for the church, I, I invite you to pray with one of our prayer team members. They're good at it and they want to pray with you. So here we go. that we would 
realize that church doesn't stop at 12 o'clock. That as we go and we live our lives, that we bring the church wherever we go. So God, I pray that you would instill in us your Holy Spirit. We may know what to say and when to say it to somebody who is in need, who is broken, who is hurting. Pray that you would allow us to be the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness in the world that lacks it. And I pray that through the working of your spirit, that we may become people who instead of reflecting the world, would reveal the kingdom. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may as you leave this place, you bear the image and bring the message of the church. Amen.